What a blessing. My wife and I came here this morning, and we were eager about, we like visiting churches. We have done a good bit of that already. Um, so Christopher uh, is the only one of my grandchildren that carries my name. So what's his middle name? Aaron, Aaron right. Christopher Aaron. <laughs> and so it's just kind of a combination this morning, because the man that had the devotional is Mose. And I am Aaron. I said, that makes us brothers. Um, so we should have that table over here. Some of you can bring it over. <coughs> My wife is Esther. And, <coughs> pardon me, she is very distinctive because as I came from and back, I realized she's the only one here with that particular kind of covering. Yesterday we were at the Haiti sale, and she went earlier and I went later. And since few of our people from Weavertown were there, most coverings, the ladies had other coverings. So I was looking for a lady with that kind of covering <laughs> that you see her have, and uh, I never found her. She was, there was tents there, and there was a lot of people, and so um, we did find each other through having a cell phone. Now, in the <coughs> Brother Earl said it would be all right if I bring my books along. My books, what is that? Well, when I retired from the active ministry at Weavertown, I'm from the Weavertown Amish Mennonite Church, I had just a bit prior to that, I had started writing on a commentary of the New Testament. And the books are back there on the table. There are still a few that need to be published. We've been working at them. I finished writing them in, 19, in 2019, but um, I pushed pretty hard for that because I didn't know how long I might live. And so I wanted it to be done in my lifetime. And now we're still trying to get them published. The um, big uh, bottleneck now is the format person that needs to do all the margins, the headings, the choosing of a different type, um, you know, for chapter titles and everything. It takes a lot of work. So uh, we just finished the book of Matthew, and that went to the publisher to Ridgeway Press, Ridgeway Publishers in Western Pennsylvania. And she's now working, or will be working, on the book of Hebrews. We still have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Jude, and Luke. Any others? Oh, yes. 1st, 2nd, Timothy and Titus. So some of the books are combined. So how many books are in the New Testament? How many? 27. 27? And this commentary will have 18 books. Then I wrote a couple other books. Then besides that, I wrote a couple other books just for fun. So this one is a book on Revelation. Um, this one, what I interpret in Scripture is one interpretation for the whole Bible. God help us. One interpretation. That's not my subject today, but it leads into it, kind of. It's a word, and so with the publisher, when I met him the first time, he said, and besides uh, Aaron, uh, what kind of interpretation do you use in Scripture? I said, I use a word value interpretation. His New Order Amish. He said, what's that? I said, well, we just take the Bible the way it says it. Some people would call it a literal interpretation. 
and what we're trying to do this morning. And it seems strange to me. It just seems strange to me to call Christian people to faith. That's the burden. But this, under, this morning's message, God willing, will be on understanding versus faith. And we'll be explaining about that. <clears throat> Another book that I wrote was uh, Creation Principles. <clears throat> now, I had a vision for writing a New Testament commentary for about 20 years. <clears throat> now, yeah, about 20 years before I actually went at it. I was so busy. I had finance seminars, teaching at Bible school, preaching elsewhere, travel, just a lot of things. Right, Christopher? Just a lot of things. <laughs> we are on the go. And in that time, my wife died and Esther's husband died and we found each other and we got close enough to hold hands and we're married. <laughs> She's from Michigan. We live in the Lancaster County area between, oh, be, down, somewhere down in there between Intercourse and Gap, just to give you a location. So I wrote this book. I had this in my file. I never taught it. The contents or the, the outlines for this, the titles, I never taught it. I went through from Genesis 1-1 to Noah and picked up there on 56 principles that are stated, and we call them creation principles because they are first things. God is the origin of the world and of all things. And more than what we know, he is the originator. And when I actually got down to studying and preparing the book, I found 66 principles. And they're listed in here. One of, those, one of those I found particularly interesting is the principle of space. Do you ever think about it? That, that all the bugs have room for each other in the world. All the different species of mice to monkeys to giraffes and hippopotamus, they all have space. Isn't that amazing? And it speaks to us about giving space to each other. Now, one time I was a deacon in the church and also I was ordained as minister besides preacher. There was a young man that uh, needed a little help. And as I talked to him about some need in his life, he said, Brother, just give me space. <laughs> So what I was addressing him on was, an, he felt, an invasion of his space. You might apply that to yourselves here, you know, some of you. Is God moving in on you? He wants space in your heart. And don't back off. Well, that's just one of the principles. I kind of got sidetracked there. And then the other one was the mystery of death and beyond. So this book, and I'll tell you in the beginning... How Satan came to me as an angel of light and he said, Aaron, you don't need to write that book and still go to heaven. In my office, it was so gentlemanlike. I never experienced before. It was like he was sitting right there in that green, comfortable chair right beside me and saying, Aaron, um, no one really needs this message. Something like that. I thought, that's Satan. Satan, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus that you leave this room, you leave this house, and don't come back. We don't have the power to do that. The power of the name of Jesus is mighty and overcomes Satan. 
Satan comes as a roaring lion. I had that too already. But more often he comes to me as an angel of light. So these three books are by far the best sellers. Creation Principles, the um, mystery of death. There is a mystery about that. The four things that are ahead for every person, not only Christians, not only sinners, Christian and sinner both. What's ahead is four things the Bible addresses, and uh, we haven't experienced it. Death, resurrection, judgment, and immortality. And immortality was the hardest one to write. But picking up what the Bible says about it. And so these two books are both designed similarly. The chapters in there are two to five pages. There's some people are using this one in particular, family devotions. They could be used in school with the students for devotions in school. It's brief and it brings up ideas that are, I think, of interest even to children. And then we have the book on Revelation. So these three are... And they all sell fairly well, but these three especially are, are very encouraging in response church-wide. The message this morning is understanding versus faith. Problem. Having observed in recent years how understanding has been replacing faith as a primary response by conservative Anabaptists to Bible subjects and Bible doctrine. Exhibit A. A preacher uses the word understanding 43 times in a 40-minute sermon. Exhibit B. An accomplished writer used the word understanding 27 times in a three-page article. Sword and trumpet. Exhibit C. In a book promoted widely by Christian Aid Ministries, a frequent appeal is made to understand the commentary on Revelation. Not faith. In all three instances, faith was hardly mentioned at all. So what was the subject for the minister using it 43 times? The word understanding, 43 times. All you had to do is just take the church bulletin, backside stroke every time you hear understanding. And with that, sure, get up to 43 times. What was the subject? The grace of God. Is the grace of God to be understood Or is it primarily to be believed? What does the Bible say? The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not through the understanding. So the person that had the the writer that used the word understanding 27 times in the three-page article, what was his subject? The theology of God. And the Bible says, That God is to be believed. Can we understand God? No. Why are we giving this kind of a witness and calling people to understand these big Bible and basic subjects? I don't know either. Except we're going to try to investigate to see maybe we get a few reasons why this may have happened. Exhibit D. A longtime teacher at Faith Builders spoke on using a correct interpretation of the Bible. He said at a minister's conference, Beachy ministers, our own ministers, several hundred ministers there. He said at a minister's conference, quote, 
The main problem in our plain churches is understanding which doctrines to interpret literally and which ones should be spiritualized or known as the allegorical method. Right there in that assembly, it so happens that most of our beach churches, beach ministers, subscribe to using the allegorical method of interpretation in future prophecy. We've missed, we say, to my embarrassment and to my shame, we have missed the most powerful part of our witness to the world. If we aren't sure about what God has said, why should the world care about what's to be feared in the future? I said the message of Revelation is a powerful message. It's also very practical. About the understanding, we're not calling for that. I think a Mennonite bishop in uh, conference... Um, uh, Mid-Atlantic. A good man. I've known him for some time. And I preached a message that uh, had to do with some theme from Revelation. And I asked him after, afterwards how he felt about that. I'd rather do that than say, am I safe to preach on this subject, the understanding versus faith? I didn't do that. I'm here to give that message. So after I had given that message on an aspect of Revelation, I just asked him how, where the church stands or where he stands this. He said, well, brother, and he was an older bishop. He said, I never studied future prophecy. He said, I don't know what I believe. <gasps> I could be leaving this world one of these days. I feel there's so much unfinished business. I can't do it. <clears throat> Exhibit E. A minister at our beach and minister's annual meeting announced his topic, saying he has three main points on this subject, and he spiritualized all three of them. Exhibit F. A minister at a congregational meeting was assigned to preach on the qualifications of a pastor. His basis was a happening in the Old Testament which he spiritualized as a platform for the New Testament specifics about ordaining brothers in church. I asked the bishop why he did that. He said, does not. He was invited in as a, as a speaker for that occasion. The concern here this morning here, in my heart and in my mind, is three things. That what we have in pushing and promoting the understanding over and above faith response to God's word in its totality. The whole book. Number one, the weakening of faith. It keeps happening. Number two, human strength of mind to take up the slack. We have academic institutions that are doing this right along. It's not hard to see it. Number three. The, these, the understanding is an alternative to satisfy the soul in its curiosity. Part of the problem is 
that since church leaders, conservative Anabaptist church leaders, have largely subscribed to the allegorical interpretation for future things, and they will say, by their own admission, that I don't understand it. But they call on people to understand, like Ted Byler's book, widely distributed by Christian Aid Ministries, widely, and it's by book distributors, Christian Light, uh, and other places too, Christian Aid. They are, promo- they are still promoting that book. And in that book, the understanding is appealed to time, and again, faith is hardly mentioned. That's what we're promoting. I had written a book and sent it to Christian Aid Ministries, and they came back and they said, well, there's just a number of things wrong with this book. I'm a country boy. I had eight grades of education in a public one-room school. I was back, born back in the Dark Ages, I mean. <laughs> and so I have a few things in my grammar that can be tweaked a little bit to make it more grammatically correct, I guess you'd say. And um, so where was I going to go with that? Is it possible? I think it is possible and probable that in our schools we are promoting the understanding very much. It would be on, oh, it would be on grammar and in science, in math, social studies, The whole program of the schools is to understand the lesson and to be able to take the test and get a passing grade. Then when we come to the Bible subject, also in our schools, then we are still promoting understanding this text, understanding this subject, understanding this doctrine. And we forget to appeal, even to our students in our grade schools, that this, this children is a little different this, these lessons here, we are teaching it to grasp it by faith. If we try to understand it, we won't get far. We have been so, um, we have been so capable in, in presenting the understanding part <clears throat> that sometimes we forget the faith aspect to really as a primary response to God's word. So I think maybe that was, so this one brother that that spoke on 43 times mentioning the understanding in reference to his subject on the grace of God. He had earlier taught school a number of years. He had been a chief at um, Bald Eagle Boys Camp. And his upbringing and his experience was largely presenting it to the children and to young people to understand. So now he's ordained and he preaches at church and he's still Emphasizing the understanding. <clears throat> so maybe in our schools, we should begin there and make a distinction between God's word, the book of God, the Bible, in our primary response to it as compared to science and math and etc. And et in Jude 3, here are the scriptures. I don't have a lot of scriptures. I could give you I could give you I could give you all forenoon on scriptures about the understanding and about faith. But here in Jude three, beloved, 
When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Here's the question. What is the faith? What is the grammatical value of those two words? The faith. Anyone? Yes, back there. Okay, and a little bit more. The faith, the would make it what? You said it, but just... The determiner, it, it, it specifies as uh, separate from other untrue faith. And thus, it is exclusive, right? It is the faith. When Jesus said, I am the way, did he mean a number of ways? I am the truth, did he mean a number of truths? I am the life, did he mean a number of them? No, I am the way. The truth and the life. Exclusively. Now, God is exclusive. But bless God, we had nothing to do with this. He is also inclusive. (laughs) Who else could get that kind of a combination of being absolutely exclusive and totally inclusive? Bless God. I don't know how to say it. But there, (laughs) that's right. Thank you, brother. We're not trying to understand it. We're trying to just believe it and realize the implications for it. And it should excite our witness and our word for the Lord, even to our children, even to our school, in school, and certainly in church. First Timothy 4.1 1 Timothy. We have our commentary to do on that one yet. It's written... It's just that um, here we are with the word of God in 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Some shall depart from the faith. Now we know what the faith is. It is not a faith among many. It is the faith, a one and only Second Thessalonians three and verse two. Second Thessalonians three two. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. And so I have and you children might be interested in this. My Bible is a German and an English Bible. So you boys can see that on the one side is English, one side is English, and the other side is German. Hi, German. You can just keep asking. Just last week's uh, church bulletin. So you see, you girls want to see English and German. Mm-hmm. I can read German. I could preach in German, and in fact, did down Belize one time to a German-speaking people. Hi, German. Not Pennsylvania Dutch. Now here's what it says in German, where it says Second Timothy three two says. Um, delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Der Globe is nicht jedermann's Ding. <laughs> what does that say, brother? Do you know? Yeah. Der Globe is nicht jedermann's Ding. What is that? Anybody Dutch enough to know that? Pennsylvania Dutch would help us there. Belief is not everyone's thing. Is, is what? Their belief is 
That's right. Exactly. That's kind of like how we talk, not. That's just not my thing. And the Bible says that faith is not everybody's thing. Ha ha. I like it. So when people, they even become a little biblical in their talk sometimes, which sounds like it might not quite be right, not quite the way it's said, but here's the Bible, transliterated from the German, saying, Der Glaube, that is, the faith, the faith is not every man's thing. Hmm. And when we get that in church, I believe we have a Bible that's in the making. I maintain. I, I, this is not my subject. This is a bunny trail. And the problem with bunnies is that they have a lot of babies and then there's more trails. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, so now I forgot what I was going to say, so I'll just let it. <laughs> there was an evident deterioration of faith in the apostolic era. They had to write these things about departing from the faith already in the first generation of Christians. And in the, all these churches were started and they must have come into the church by hundreds, thousands, I don't know. But uh, there was an early burning desire about Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. Their basic message was the resurrection of Christ and its implications for living. Esther's sister Edith comes from the same home, same church. She married a Mennonite man. Now, this doesn't matter, but for the sake of the history, Esther's family was Mennonite, and she came to the Beachy Church because she and Roger, and they were a liberal, Beachy church, uh, liberal Mennonite church, and they saw what might happen and what they feared, in fact, did happen, and so they just decided to go to Beachy Church. And she about, the poor thing, she about fell over when Roger said, let's just go to the Beachy Church. <laughs> so the first Sunday they went far away. And she wore that first Beachy covering. She, they went far away. She wasn't going to be seen in a Beachy Church with a Beachy covering. She got used to it and they did too. Well, bless her. She has been a tremendous help to me and has convictions and so they said, yeah, you can go to the beach of church, but your children won't stay there. The children don't stay in the beach of church. Well, all her six children are in the beach of church with conviction. So let's not make bad prophecies <clears throat> along that line. What about Esther's sister Edith? They divorced. She married again, and they divorced. She married again, and they divorced. Oh, it's no, a third time now. They're still living with that man. He is not divorced. His wife died before he married Edith. So he's not in a divorce remarriage situation, but she is. So we get together once a year. And Edith and I, Edith is not like Esther at all. Esther will be um, give thought to her speech. Edith is the opposite. 
So Edith and I have a verbal ping pong whenever we meet. I mean, it's back and forth. <laughs> she brings up about this divorce and remarriage situation. They are good Baptists. She is free, she says. She has a witness of the Spirit. And she, why does she bring it up? I didn't bring it up. We didn't bring it up. She brings it up. Do you know why? A little bit of conviction there? Mm-hmm. So it's the thing that she can, and here's the point. She, when, when she brings it up to me and we're talking about it, and she says, and we end it with saying, well, Aaron, your understanding of this subject is different from my understanding. You know why we don't get anywhere in that case? We're not talking about a faith issue. We're talking about the understanding. And you can do that across the board with all false religions and with all kinds of Christians that are different from us in their understanding. Of course. Simply end up with saying, well, your understanding is different from my understanding. The idea is that your understanding is good and mine is good also. So Strong's Concordance has three columns of lists of verses in the New Testament about um, faith. And um, uh, now a little bit of exercise, a little bit of a guessing game here this morning. So the New Testament has uh, 213 total about faith. New Testament. The question is, and I'd like to have five guesses. The Old Testament has how many mentions of faith? And take a number from one to a hundred. Two. We're done. <laughs> That's correct. Two compared to 213. So what I'm wanting to present this morning here, and maybe a bit of understanding why the word understanding has come to be so freely in use. That in, and why there are so many verses in the Old Testament about understanding, but not in the New Testament. A lot of verses about faith in the New Testament, but not in the Old Testament. Huh? That wants to say something I think is just of itself. I was going to say something else yet about that. Any comments? Anyone here? So where the Amish, we know, and our Amish brothers, and we do taxi work, my, my wife and I both, and we have interesting discussions sometimes brought up by them Generally, and we have had some pretty heavy stuff uh, brought to us that they have questions about. We have known that they have a problem with assurance of salvation. And we have faulted them. I believe there are Amish that are saved and don't know it. 
And they come short, they stop short of claiming assurance of salvation because it's a church precept. People can be excommunicated from the Amish church at this time and in the past if they were too vocal about assurance of salvation. They could be excommunicated. Fast forward to where we are this morning. Right now, across this whole land and across this whole world, where there are conservative Anabaptists. Many, I would say. I know that's true in the Beach Church. Many subscribe to an allegorical interpretation which does not have assurance of the prophecies as spoken that God will fulfill. We have a similar problem. I don't say that we'll be lost because we don't believe God's promises. God's prophecies, yeah, and you know what? Every prophecy of God is a promise from God. Mm-hmm. That is powerful. And that warrants being believed. I've had many a minister had said to me that we got to talking about it. Cover Bible school, teachers there, ministers meetings, places where we meet, visit churches. They like to talk about it. They know where I stand. They know where I'm at. And they would just say, I just don't understand. One minister that's 10 years my senior, not living anymore, he called me up one time. I had a mess. I, did, I wrote Calvary Messenger. Anybody got that me- uh, periodical? Calvary Messenger? A lot of Mennonites do. I wrote in there for about 30 years. Articles of all kinds. Just happenings and stuff that just uh, tickles my fancy and I go ahead and write about and I, there's two times that I overstepped the line, Earl. It was too premillennial. And there's sieves out there that pick it up immediately. Ministers that call me or call the editor. And the editor said, he told me he's getting some calls. It was only a sentence. Two times. Two different articles. And, and, uh, and the editor said that I wouldn't put it in if it was a freelance writer, but Aaron is on the staff as a contributing editor, and so I went and put it through as he spoke it. <laughs> well, this one man called, 10 years my senior, and he said, Aaron, you think you understand all this about future prophecy? And I said, no, brother, not at all. I'm I'm believing it, and therefore I speak accordingly. But you just act like you understand it all. And no, I said I really I'm sorry, but I don't profess to understand it. Of course not, I don't understand it, but I believe it. And he gave me a third time. But you're just saying by what your statements are that you understand it all. And see, see, the understanding has been equated with faith, and they're miles apart. When it comes to believing, when it comes to God's word and what God says. Now, one of the chapters in here is, is God trustworthy? And I think, I don't know where you're at here. I suspect maybe I'm okay so far. Um, but there's, I think that uh, a revival could be in the making if our churches, church-wide, would take 
future prophecy on a, a, on a interpreting, interpreting it as God spoke it. This has been verified and testified that the word of God, that the Bible is the word of God. Now, do we trust God or don't we? Is it okay as he states it? So let's say a person gets a daily paper and he'll just allegorize that. You know, he'll just spiritualize it. doesn't really, here's what it says, but it doesn't what it means. And we just spiritualize it. Make it say whatever we want the information to say. Huh. Who would ever do that? But in God's word, are we, are we okay with doing that? That's my question. The burden on my heart. <clears throat> in counseling, there is a backlog. You have a person that is depressed and you decide that this person should be taken somewhere, admitted for a counseling, and they have a backlog. They cannot take people for several weeks and sometimes much longer than that. We have Amish places that are schooled, really, by the Mennonites in how to address various problems, and they're good. They have taken sessions at Life Ministries. They have taken in-depth seminars on these things. And they are, they are worthy of the name of counseling. So there's a, a lady that, last month, there was an Amish lady in our county that committed suicide. Do ladies, do sisters have emotional needs, spiritual needs, things that the mind can't handle? Yeah. They had tried to get her into a, a place for counseling and there was a backlog. They couldn't take her. She had children. She had a family. Esther and I know of two ladies from beachy churches who committed suicide. And I say that the word of God gives us hope. But I tell you what, and this is another sermon. This is another sermon. That people cannot have a living hope without having a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A, a hope that is claimed, that is not based on salvation by faith, is not a true hope. It's a fake. It can be generated by the human physique. It can be generated by the human mind. But it's, but from the word of God, it's faith that precedes hope. Now, if a person isn't born again, you may wish for things, you may have claim hope, but hope cannot be, hope cannot be verified, documented, certified in the Bible without believing on Jesus to salvation. I think these two books, I think these two books, by God's grace and blessing, could be particularly helpful in counseling situations. This one shows why God made the world and why he made you and the purpose for life. This one shows what happens at death, 
What happens after that in the resurrection? There's two resurrections. There's two lives to be lived. There's two deaths. There's two resurrections. There's two judgments. And there's two destinations that are final. That is shown here. Here it, it tells us about facing the resurrection after death. And the judgment, we believe by the word of God that the Christians will come to the judgment seat of Christ and there receive our rewards. And we'll be coming. You see, we had made, we had made satisfaction with our God before we died. And so therefore, um, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And that word in German is und wird gedrungen vom Tod zum Leben. And that word, that word gedrungen is a power word. It is a word that means that from death to life with thrust when we believe in the Lord Jesus. Sondern er wird von Leben, von Tod zum Leben hindurch gedrungen. Hindurch gedrungen which is there, through, with pressure, with power, to way up there, somewhere. That's the idea that the German gives us here. <clears throat> so I see that uh, our fellowship meal isn't until 12 o'clock, so we have a little time yet. <laughs> All right. There are questions by many people in our time, Christian and non-Christian. Where will this end? That is a good question. It is assumed that this world will end. There's something in the human mind and heart that speaks to that to an end. And see, when you address an end, like this book doesn't, and the book of Revelation doesn't, it not only assumes there's a beginning, it forces the thought there's a beginning. And there's a reason for the whole, this whole thing. There you are. That's our witness. We need to call people to faith. The word understand, understood, and understanding is 206 times in the Old Testament. So it seems to me that the understanding was something that was, was, um, was spoken of in the Old Testament. And there's a lot of interesting verses, Proverbs in particular, um, even the New Testament, has parallel passages. So, um, the understanding was much less in the New Testament. And when Jesus used the word understanding, it was often in a corrective kind of way. Not promoting it, but chiding the Jews for not understanding. <coughs> the word understand is how many times in Revelation? Not you now. You're out. How many times is the word understand in Revelation? 
Mm-hmm. Can you count? What's the first letter of the alphabet? One. That's how many times it's in the Revelation. One time. And that is to understand the meaning of a 666. Okay. <clears throat> so faith and believing are very prominent words used by the apostles in their preaching and in their writing. And so if people would not choose to believe, then at the very least, they should understand. And if they will not believe, then we need to work on the understanding. And then from the understanding, bring them to faith. And not backwards like is in the allegorical system of interpretation that we try to understand to develop faith. You see? It's backwards. The word value interpretation is a call to faith and then from there, we have, we should have, and I will emphasize this variously in my books, especially in Revelation, that there we should believe what God has spoken, and what's next? That we should appreciate that God has spoken. And what we have as verity and truth. And then, let the understanding follow as it can. Mm-hmm. So, Here's how I want to show that. So here we have it. Is <clears throat> a train of thought. <laughs> train of thought. So that <clears throat> you have the you have the engine, the power source, and there is faith. The response to God's word is faith. God said it. Can you believe it? Of course. There's a Mennonite preacher that has had said that faith is a moral issue. Did you know that, Earl? Faith is a moral issue. Because God calls us to faith, and if we don't have faith, we're failing, and we failed it. That faith itself is actually a moral issue. There is right and wrong about faith. No bunny trail. Back to our train. And then appreciation. You see that? Next car. Appreciation. And because I was coming up to... I could add another car here when I was drawing and so I already had made the first part. I didn't want to redo it. So I put truth as the next one. Truth should be right behind the engine. It should be right behind the engine. You got that? It, if you're drawing it, that should be right behind the engine. Truth. Did you know that there's nothing controversial in the whole Bible? Did you know that? There's nothing controversial in the whole Bible. Huh? Because you cannot have truth and controversy at the same time. Controversy comes from different interpretations, but not from the Bible as God had said it. So you can't have truth and controversy both. If you are bringing the Bible into a controversy, you are, you are against God's truth. Alright, so then we have understanding. You see that? It's just a small, low, sideboard car. It follows as it can. And then the caboose is what? Amen! <laughs> Isn't it fun? I think so. 
I was never a school teacher. I taught at Calvary Bible School for only 30, 37 years, but I enjoy teaching. And so I get to doing a little bit here and there, and sometimes I do a little preaching besides. Now, by, con- by comparison, this. Here's the engine. Here's the power. You know, the engine's pulling this train. So the first car up is the understanding. And after that, we mesh things, uh, the rest of the train, and compare it to the understanding. So there are, I met so many Mennonites already that had said, and I include Beaches as Mennonites, so many people I've said, grown men who have taught, who have studied the Bible, read the Bible, taught the Bible all their lives. And they say, well, I believe everything will pan out all right. <gasps> Please sit down. That is not a good idea at all. You get the, the definition of pan? You know what it says? One of the definitions of pan is that you have the hard pan when you plow. Moldboard plow. You have a hard pan. The hard pan comes from taking that moldboard plow through there. It turns the earth over and it's down there in the clay and it smears across the clay and it seals off so that the corn roots can't get down through. So it'll pan out all right? I don't think so. I think there's more to know than just glibly saying that. And then, uh, at a Mennonite conference, three conferences together, talking about one man spoke on a um, having a literal interpretation, and that was Richard Herr. Do you know him? Uh, over there by Gettysburg. <clears throat> Richard Herr. Uh, what's interesting about him, his birthday is also in November of 1937, just like mine. So he spoke on on why Christians should have a word value interpretation, a literal interpretation even of prophecy. And then another man spoke, and this was by design. It was Plan Four. Um, they had considered me for using for speaking on the one about you, uh, word value interpretation, but I was on the quantity of these people, and so they opted to not do that. Lyle Krupp knew me, and his son is a pastor out there. He's on the committee for that. And so he said, would I be available? I said, sure. And, but he said, nah, didn't go through. But anyhow, that was another binding trail. Here we are. And uh, so after this man is finished with talking about why churches and Christians should use the allegorical method, he ended his talk with up there on the stage, aside from the pulpit, and said, what's the difference? To me, just a huge difference. He's also on the board for Christian Light Ministries, Christian Light Publications. It's okay. That's where we're at. So, with one comment that could be just that could be seen as being premillennial, my book was rejected. Couldn't be in there, he said. Not this man, but the one, people that do the evaluation. And then we have faith. So if faith is based on the understanding, you know what happens? Not only young people are saying, I just don't understand this about the covering, women's covering. I don't understand this about not taking part in politics. I don't understand this about why we can't have some involvement in sports and music 
of more tired desire and all kind. It just goes on down the line, on down the line. When people don't understand it, they find that to be a very reason to reject it, to not believe it. And this call from the Bible and by the Spirit of God is a call to faith. If we want to be saved, we need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we are, we are following on a train that has faith toward God's word on an equal vocal, uh, faith in God's word um, with appreciation, and faith in God's word with some understanding. So can the understanding grow? Has your understanding, as some of you older people, has your understanding grown since you were a boy, a teenager, young married? Has it grown? Of course. Of course. Wonderfully has grown. But the test of God's word, of what God says, is not adequate by applying the understanding to it, but by believing it. And maybe with appreciation and with growth and experience, we get to understand a bit more as we go along. Yeah. <clears throat> Exhibit G. At E-Town Ministers Conference, we had a three-day study week, and I just gave you that one topic was word value interpretation, one topic is allegorical interpretation. Exhibit I. Um, at a minister ordination, no, Exhibit H comes next. Um, at at uh, the um, conference in Elizabethtown last October, uh, Richard Hur told me, uh, you remember, he's the one that's going to be speaking on the word value interpretation. He said, <laughs> he and I, we have known each other previously, so he was free to tell me this. He said, Aaron, um, the moderator had t- talked to me here before I gave my topic, and he said, um, he would think it would be good if uh, Richard wouldn't offend anybody here today. That was his words. Ministers being offended by God's word? So what's that? And yet we're not supposed to be offended when the other time side is pretty sure that because publishing houses, main, our main major publishing houses are amillennial. They are allegorical. On Exhibit I, there was a plain Mennonite church at the minister ordination prior, I suppose it was prior to the actual ordination being done. During the investigation, they were asked if they would promise to not include preaching on future prophecy. And yet we stand up and we say all scripture is given by inspiration of God and we believe it all. Do we really? Do we really believe all scripture is given by inspiration of God? Is God trustworthy? Exhibit J. At a plain Manite church at, um, the, uh, for the pastors there, they require them to not use the Old Testament for future prophecies. The Old Testament has a wealth of information, 
from promises of God about things yet to be. Exhibit K. The principal at Calvary Bible School asked me uh, I was to be teaching first and second Thessalonians. It touches a bit on the future, future prophecy. And so the principal there had uh, said to me before the school started, he asked that I would uh, just teach it in general and avoid the specifics. Is that okay for any Bible subject or any book of the Bible? Is that really what we mean to do? All scripture is given by inspiration of God, or are we hedging on that one? Exhibit L. I've written a bottom line for Calvary Messenger, our church-wide paper, United States, Canada, elsewhere in the world. A lot of Mennonites get it. They tell me anyhow. Um, And there I had, uh, I told you, I overstepped the line two times. Just a little bit. And I know where the line is. (laughs) And so uh, the board told the editor if he would uh, tell, just convey that to me that I would try to be more neutral on future prophecy. <laughs> now look in the dictionary for the word neutral, what that means. And when you're neutral and then you are to be a little bit more neutral. Unengaged. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ah, yeah. You just have the motor idling, not getting anywhere. Eventually, the motor itself stops. Uh, Exhibit M. The um, older editor of Carry Messenger, and I had this little bit of controversy about this, what I had included in in an article, and he called me to say that, um, he said, Brother Aaron, what one believes about future prophecy has nothing to do with one's salvation. Now, he's 10 years my senior, and I say, I strongly disagree in my heart. And wait, I, could, I could show you things that have happened in people's lives that that statement has also quite a few exceptions to it. Exhibit N, and this is my last one. Exhibit N. I want to tell you about Zacharias. No, not Zacharias. Abe Miller. Abe Miller. Abe Miller had called me up one time. There he is. This book is dedicated. I have seldom done this. And I thought to do this, the book of Revelation, dedicated to Abe Miller. An old brother. Did anybody know Abe Miller out in Sugar Creek, Ohio? No, he's an older saint, and he said, the book of Revelation excites me so much. And the reason he called me is because his birth date is the same as mine, but he's three years older. He's still living. I just, we just visited him this, pre, this past few months, visited him again. And he didn't know I'm doing this when, I, when we made this book, and I got information from his son, and I, t- I want to take this book out and personally give it to him. He was an old man and he's looking for the kingdom of God to come. For Jesus to come again. He is so enthralled and excited about future things and what's going to happen. He was so blessed and a blessing to me just in his encouragement. I let you with that exhibit. That can be you. We can do that and we can die gracefully 
as an old as an old person, man or woman, with a testimony of expressing a strong hope for the next generation about Jesus to come again and about what he's going to do with the world in a seven-year tribulation. It's going to be terrible. For the, Christ, for the sinners. For those that don't believe God. And if we'd have a testimony, I think people be, some people would be crying out to God for mercy. But this way, hmm, my understanding is just different from your understanding. You see. And so, Vosma Sauce. So what does it matter? What's the difference? And so, the children's meeting, they were talking about cereal. And here I have, I had cereal this morning too. <laughs> Boys, look at this. Did any of you have Cheerios? Huh? I had Cheerios for breakfast this morning. No Cheerios? The girls? Oh, Cheerios is pretty decent. I eat them maybe once a month or something like that. Just kind of a, sometimes, no, that was yesterday morning, not this morning. I won't tell you what I had this morning for breakfast. You'd be, you wouldn't, you wouldn't understand. You don't know coffee soup, do you? <laughs> so now I left it out. But yeah, Cheerios yesterday morning. And here on the box it said, oh, I said, honey, cut this out. I need this. Starting your day with a bowl of Cheerios can be a delicious way to help take care of your heart. Now, starting the day with um, with um, with what? From God's word, can you do that very thing? A delicious way to help take care of your heart. But making heart healthy choices is even easier. See, when they do this, the first statement has you. You're hooked on Cheerios. Because it says, starting your day with a bowl of Cheerios can be a delicious way to help take care of your heart. That puts you as a regular customer of Cheerios. And then the hook. They're doing a little fishing. The next sentence. But making heart healthy choices is even easier when you have someone to help you along the way. Now there's two people <laughs> that are hooked on Cheerios. Ah. They care about them. You care about them. They care about you. That's neat. Starting your heart healthy journey is even better with two. So we'll just take that. And put right, that right to God's word and, um, and commend you, commend that to you that it may be, uh, well with you and your children. That isn't my last line. Sometimes, um, here's my last line. Um, the church sign in Georgetown, now Georgetown is close by where the the, the girls were shot at the Nickel Mine School shooting. The nearest town is Georgetown. A sign by church, Georgetown said, Normal isn't, this was back in COVID, during COVID. Normal isn't coming back. Jesus is. Huh? And then in Florida, there was this sign. Um, impossibility is not a fact. It is an opinion. or false well it depends (laughs) yeah impossibility is not a fact it is an opinion the bible says all things are possible to him that believeth it is and the bible says that it's impossible for god to lie and it says it's not possible that blood of bulls and goats should take away sin so you might find that interesting for yourself 
to make a little study, take the Strong's Concordance, look at possible, possible, possibility, especially possible and impossible, and see how much is possible and how much is impossible. And we are beneficiaries of both in God's own way.